welcome to another week of the Fiber Coven podcast. We're so excited to be hanging out with you and talking about some yarny stuff and some witchy stuff. I'm Lauren from Valkyrie Fibers. And I'm Emily from Kitty with a Cupcake. We have news. Our first news is that our next scheduled crafty hangout is going to be August 11th at 5 p.m. Pacific, 8 p.m. Eastern. We usually hang out for a couple hours. We bring a beverage, should we like, and just do something crafty and have a good time. That is on our Discord. Uh, go be a patron to find out how to do that. It's a really great time. And then what other news have you got for us, Emily? Also in August, I will be at PopCon Indianapolis, August 25th through 27th. Uh, come visit me. I will be in a booth of all of my wares. So it's a great time to shop everything in person. Fantastic. I love that. Let's jump into some of our yarny content. We both have a little finished object this week. Who wants to go first? I'll go first because mine's older. Yay. It's Here a it coaster? Is. It's a coaster. With some sweet little bees and hexagons. So it's a it's like a flower shape made out of hexagons. Mm-hmm. Tell us more. It's so this is my first English paper piecing finished project. Uh, it's lovely yeah and uh i kemper was nice and tutorialed me how to do this over the zoom uh so i learned how to put the the paper pieces inside the fabric and get everything prepped and then the best way to sew them together and i just i have my little uh weekend makes english paper piecing book and it showed just this little hexagon and like it's just appliqued to some felt to make mm-hmm. a little poster. So I made that with my little test pieces. And this fabric is scraps from when I was making masks during the pandemic. Mm-hmm. And I thought it was cute to add the little bees from the fabric. Like they're, they're lovely. On the flower. And then I just have a little yellow piece to be the middle of the flower. Mm-hmm. And this is a scrap piece of felt. So it's an extremely scrappy project. Uh, and I think I might, I might get it to my mom for my for her birthday because she expressed that she really liked it beautiful yes so it's cute and i've never done uh english paper piecing before do does the little paper that you use to make the shapes stay in the piece permanently or do you remove it once you've shaped your individual modular pieces that's a good question and the answer is it can go either way depending on the type of paper that you are using. If you're just using regular like computer paper or like a standard paper, you do take it out and you do like a basting stitch around like the selvages of your little pieces basically and then you just rip your papers out. Uh but mm-hmm. the papers that I am using are um not actually paper, they're little fabrics. Mm. Basically, so they're little woven fabrics. So I am leaving them in and I got these pre-cut because I am not going to become like an English paper piecer as my full main craft. So I didn't want to cut hundreds of hexagons. So I just bought some mm-hmm. hats and uh, they also, these leave-in ones, they make the pieces like a little bit stiffer, mm-hmm. um, which is kind of fun and kind of nice. So it seems like you would absolutely want that for a coaster. Mm-hmm. Exactly. So yeah, these are uh, Ash Mead designs, pre-cut hexagons that I have here. But I use lovely, that. and that's my little finished project. And I, it, I mean, I, I did this like really quick. I could have done this in a night. Uh, mm-hmm. I would have spent all night on it. So not too bad. And I actually, I was nervous about appliqueing it 
to the felt. And I'm glad that I did that because it was not that bad. It was not that stressful to applique this on. And I feel like I could definitely like do an English paper piecing patch onto like a tote bag or something and feel pretty good Mm -hmm. about it. Did you do that by hand or with a machine? By hand. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I did all of this by hand. So it's lovely. Yeah. Wow. That's a lot of hand stitching. Yeah. English paper piecing is hand stitching. You don't do the machine at all. Interesting. I'm learning so much. Yeah. You can, if I get close, you can see my little, little baby stitches. Oh yeah. It's your, the graphic design. I'm, I'm more fixated by the pixel art of the fabric that you chose. That's what I see. Yeah, the fabric little is delicate kind stitches. Of, I would say it kind of mimics a bead loom almost mm-hmm. in the way that the right. little, they're little rectangles uh-huh. instead of squares. Yeah, I've been really feeling pixel art lately. I noticed myself gravitating to a lot of cross stitch. And I just think that's one of those universal human things is across every culture. There's some sort of pixel art, be it uh, embroidery or beading or just, you know, drawn art like pixel art. It's, it's such a beautiful human thing. It is. Yay. Nice. I love talking with you. Oh, I love you too. <laughs> I finished a hat. I made a little box top uh, hat. Uh, It's actually kind of funny. So I've been using, I've been trying to use up scraps. And honestly, this for neutrals that I didn't care for so much, a good way to use them up was to use that make it tweed that I got at my LYS. And this is a dark brown. I had leftover scraps from my, my rebel poncho and I turned it into a little box top hat with a little, ribbed brim it i didn't originally intend to make it a little box top pussy ear hat uh but i brought this to queer beer night at the brewery and i just kept knitting until i ran out of yarn so and it surprised me so i was like oh i guess i'm going home unpicking around and three needle binding off the top because i don't want to pull out a lot of work and it it's fine i will find a person who is young or young at heart uh and give it to them. It's delightful. Yeah. I like the kind of like dark grungy brown with the little pops of tweed. I think it's delightful. That tweed yarn is so fun. It really is. I'm excited that I have more of it. Yeah. And that's what I finished. What yeah. have you been working on, friend? Should I do the quilting first? Yeah, sure. I worked. I started another quilting project. I'm keeping it in this cute little haunted mansion bag that I got. Mm-hmm. And it's in here. And this is another project from that Weekend Makes book, which is, it's going to be like a little zip pouch. So Mm -hmm. I'm I'm making like a little panel of Oh my gosh. And you have five beautiful multicolored hexagons put together already. They're lovely. Two little other ones. Because it's, when you're doing the English paper piecing, uh, it gets to a point where if you're working on a big piece, it's ki- it kind of like when you're working on a sweater and it gets cumbersome to have the fabric of the sweater flapping around. Mm-hmm. So I'm making another piece. So I'll basically then like puzzle piece them together mm-hmm. at the end. But yeah, I have like a little half flower of hexes here and I'm making a panel that's, I don't know, it's like, you know, like as wide as a piece of printer paper or whatever. And then I will applique this to a large square of fabric and put mm-hmm. a zipper in and it will be like a little quilted panel on a little pouch. I love that. I think that's going to be a really nice little project bag for you. Right? Won't that be cute? I think that these will be the, like 
this is not going to take that long too. So I think that these will be some fun like gifts for crafty people too to have like a little handmade mm-hmm. pouch. We love handmade pouches, us crafty people. And we love an aesthetically like a very intentional scrappy project is mm-hmm. very aesthetically pleasing I, to me. Yes, to me too. Yeah, and these little these scraps I got at Gather Here um, on mm-hmm. my trip to Boston. And the uh, black, the orange, and the pink were just little charms. So they were just like really tiny little pieces. So I used all of them to do my little hexies. And then I took some bits from some of the fat quarters I got there too for these little, little ones. I love it. Yeah. Yeah, you can you can see how it how it works on the back here. So that's like mm-hmm. the fabric folded over the selvages and I have a little glue pen. So I glued mm. down the edges onto the paper bit. That's really cool and very interesting. Thank you for teaching me stuff. Yeah, isn't that fun? So I'm enjoying working on that as like a little thing. It's kind of nice too because if I don't feel like working on it for a long time, I can just like attach a little bit of a thing and be like, that's enough for now and put it away. It's a little little project mix them up. Yeah. So delightful. Fun. Yeah. I want to show you my blanket. <laughs> I want to see your blanket. I think it's it's sweet that you want to keep wanting to see my blanket because you're going to see it every week this year. Evolve. <laughs> so this is the blanket. Oh, so it is becoming. Oh. Yeah, there's a lot of pink. It's becoming really summery. West Coast is having a bit of a heat wave. Luckily, I live in a ski resort town, so we're not baking like Phoenix and Sacramento and everything. But it's warm for us. It's really nice. Lots of oranges and pinks for my high temps. I think it's really nice. I'm really enjoying the July pattern. It's really intuitive. And yeah, it's definitely getting more dark and saturated as our nighttime lows are creeping up there. It's getting a lot more vibrant. Yeah, my low temperatures used to be blue, green, blues, and it's kind of edging up into yellows and greens for my low, my nighttime lows. And I think it's, it's interesting. I just love how it keeps changing and I'm really excited about this project. Yeah, it's funny because I hate summer, but the summer section is totally going to be my favorite part of the blanket. (laughs) Me too. I feel much the same way. And I think it's really sweet uh, kind of how this project is like changed with the seasons in our storm apocalypse hoth winter we just had. I was doing my rose in the morning cuddled up under my growing blanket. And now this has become like, the thing I do at night when the sun finally like dips behind the trees and it cools off, I'll take this out to my pod chair and listen to pod. I'll listen to podcasts in the pod chair and crochet my little rose. Ew. Mm-hmm. Honestly, I kind of worry that it's going to be boring for me to dip back into like temperatures I've already done. And it, well, yeah. that would be really aesthetically pleasing in the blanket. And it's not like I'm going to stop now, but it's been so exciting to use new colors. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Interesting. But I guess, yeah. but I guess the fact that they're be... away from them, maybe that it will be like, you'll mm-hmm. just just switch again. Maybe I'll just have to focus more on the patterns because the patterns will be different than the ones I did at the beginning of the year, even though the colors will be similar. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's yeah. Awesome. I'm can't wait to see this project in person. So pretty. Yeah, that's a good point. Am I going to bring this to see you? <laughs> uh, you're going to need, you're going to need to actually 
check a suitcase. I will need bag. to have check bags for that. You could put your clothes in the check bag and put that in your big carry-on bag. Maybe so. Anyway. Well, fly um, Southwest, so it won't cost anything to bring the bag. It's fair. Uh, the only other thing I've really been working on is my Melu Run shawl. And I had fantasies of having this finished and blocked, but um, that's not what happened yesterday. Other things happened, but I am binding off. Oh, it looks so cute. <laughs> Stupid little Pico bind off looks so adorable. It really does. So this Look is the Melu Run shawl designed by Knit Graffiti. I'm using mainly yarns from Sister Anonce and Serendipitous Wool. I use more of the Sister Anonce in the beginnings of it on their yak base. And then this is uh, the Serendipitous Wool that I got at Rhinebeck towards the end here. I love this orange. It feels very space fruit inspired. It's great. So since last week, I finished the last couple rows of brioche. And then I did a few garter ridges with eyelets, which is how you finish. And I decided to throw in a contrast color here because um, the serendipitous wool I'm using was a sock set with two minis. And I just thought the orange looks really good with the magenta and the bright green. It does. And I wanted to bring it in too, because I started the shawl with the magenta and I wanted to bring it in again, uh, but it's making me very happy. The peacoat bind off. Um, I did struggle with it at first, uh, cause I was not sober, but I got the hang of it. it the pattern is fine. I was just, uh, having a time, mm-hmm. but I'm so excited to block this. Yeah. I'm excited to see it blocked. Yeah. The only bad thing is I can't watch TV while I'm doing this peacoat bind right, off cause it's a little, count. yeah, I have to count and look at it, but I've got maybe like a third of the shawl bound off and nice. maybe that'll be it's a huge bind off. It is a huge bind off. I am definitely playing a little bit of yarn chicken, but I'm having a really nice time with it. Nice. Yay. What else have you been working on? I did work on my blanket, but I forgot to bring it. Uh, I'm mm-hmm. on a new stripe, so you'll see that next time. But I have made great strides on my sweater here. So mm-hmm. I showed you last time that I had bound off the bottom, but I have mm-hmm. one whole sleeve finish. <gasps> it's great. Look at it. Mm-hmm. And these are sleeves that are going to hit roughly at the elbow, right? Yeah, they're little elbow length sleeves. Um, It Mm -hmm. has the twisted rib at the bottom like the Mm -hmm. piece does. So I think it looks really good. And I am well into my second sleeve. Love it. And for such a cheerful pattern. For some reason, the the yarn is pooling on the sleeve. Even though you're alternating skeins? Yes. How? How did that Interesting. happen? What are the chances of that happening? And it didn't happen on this one. <laughs> so that's driving me a little nuts. And I'm wondering if I should rip it out, if it's bothering me enough. What would you do? Would what would you do to fix it? Like pull from the other side of the skein? I guess. Instead. Maybe, maybe if you kept one as is and then pulled the other from like the center. Yeah, I switched. So I broke the yarn down here mm-hmm. and switched to try it and like stop that which it did you can see here that it like moved it but now it's just like gonna pull over here Mm -hmm. so i don't know if i should just accept it or what because it's not Mm -hmm. it's really noticeable when i show you just that part but i think in the context of the whole sweater it's like Mm -hmm. a spot but it's not that much of a spot like you know Mm -hmm. isn't that i might i might pull it out pull it out and go from the other I end. can really see it. 
I know. Yeah. Yeah. It might be good to, to maybe just wind one of the cakes from the other direction. Well, and one of and so try. the that I'm altering, one of them is really small. Like it's going to mm-hmm. run out. So I think if I went, if I did that one the other way, would I need to wash it though to get the kink out of it? Cause it's already been knit. No, I don't think so. <sighs> so that's my thing. I don't know why that's happening. I did use the one ball that's really pooling on the other sleeve and it didn't do that. <laughs> I was like so confused. <laughs> yeah. The same stitch count. Like what is happening? Why? <laughs> why is that happening? Like, but it like just the... blows my mind how patterns work like that. And like, yeah, but I feel like it's just some sort of freak of math. So I used this big ball for the sleeve and Mm -hmm. alternate with a ball that's gone now. So it's like the combo of these two that's doing it. And like this Mm -hmm. one, I guess, would probably do it on its own too because it's been consistent. But the other one broke it up last time. So (laughs) Mm -hmm. yeah. So I'm not sure. I I think I will do that because it is bothering me. Yeah. I'm not going to lie. It's bothering me a bit too. But oh, if it doesn't work out when I rip it out and rewind it, I'm just going to have to deal with it because I have nothing else that I can do about it. Like, that's what it's doing. <laughs> Unless yeah. I'm like, Temper, do you have another spare skein of <laughs> that I can try and stop this with? <laughs> I don't really need it. Like, I have plenty to do the button band with mm-hmm. this. And the button band will be a totally different stitch count, so it shouldn't pull. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. honestly but see the thing is if it pulled on the button band i could vibe with that but like to have my sleeves not look the same would it visually yeah here's i would sleeve. find it visually noticeable i mean they look the same except for those like weird mm-hmm. like the parts that aren't super pooling look the same like this oh you do have a little bit of pooling on the other one but it's way less noticeable because of the mm-hmm. Yeah, like that is a pooling spot, but it is somewhat more broken up than this. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Because the one skein was broken up. It's just weird. It's just weird that it's like the perfect stitch count to cause it to do that, I guess. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But yeah, you think that this one is bad enough that I should do it though, right? Even though this one has some pooling. Yeah. I mean, mm-hmm. this is way more noticeable than this. It really, it really is. I'm sorry if anybody's just listening to us talk about this, but one, the finished sleeve has just like some very faint, like blue and pink pooling. Honestly, it's kind of giving trans pride flag vibes. And I like that. But the other one, the colors are more saturated and more prominent. Mm-hmm. And it's a larger section. I feel like the finished sleeve has one uh, pastel pooling section the size of maybe like a little tangerine, but this is like the the other one is like the whole sleeve. Well, yeah, and it's it's on both sides too. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think if it were my project, I might try running. I might try winding the the smaller skein the other direction and starting over, and seeing if that helps. That's what I'm gonna do, I guess. Hmm. I think that that ball is so small that I'm going to start winding it the other direction. Oh, yeah. And then rip out. Does that make sense? Mm -hmm. Will that work? Yeah. I don't know. See, it sounds like it might. No, that won't. I don't know. No. No, you could, you pull it out and then wind from there. Mm -hmm. (laughs) 
real time as you it's watch the gears in our brain. So I think I'm just yeah, because it's the sleeve, I think I'm just gonna rip the needle out and rip it all the way down. Mm-hmm. I guess there are live stitches in there though. Hmm. Yeah. I need to figure out what I'm gonna do. Real time problem solving. I want to be done with the sweater. I don't want it to have weird pooling. I'm sorry. I cast on another vanilla hat. I'm working on some two by two ribbing, just another sockhead hat. I've been, I pulled this out of deep stash. It's a 50 gram skein of fingering weight mill spun. And it's kind of got that fade that's made by the different plies kind of fading. And Uh it's fine. It's my post office going out and socializing project mm-hmm. that's the only other thing i've been working on yeah it's good it's like it's very there's the it starts out with kind of some plummy colors and it's fading into like some poppy pink corally colors and i'm liking it yeah yeah purples and pinks or not like pink purples and corals i'll say mm-hmm. yay that's what i've been working on cool that's all I've got for uh, knitting content. Me too. You acquired some things? I acquired some things because I went on a little trippy. Mm-hmm. I went to uh, Knit and Bolt in mm-hmm. Minneapolis, which was a very lovely, like, all denominations of craft store. They had knitting, they had embroidery, they had quilting, and you know, other cross-stitch stuff like little tapestry weaving stuff, like all sorts of stuff and it was very cute and very queer friendly nice i got some things i got this little bird needle threader oh cute a little hummingbird and it's like a pinky purple yeah and he's got like a little flap down to protect the little needle threader part and it also can cut thread it says Ooh, i think i need to get me one of those yeah it's called lay needle bird mm. And I got some fabric. I got mm-hmm. some charm packs. I got this Kona just mm-hmm. cotton solid. Why charm pack. are they called charm packs? It's very you. I don't know why it's called charm packs. Uh, it's that's just what it's called. These little itty bitty squares. Yeah, I'm not. I'm. I'm not totally sure why that that is the quilting lingo for these. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then I also got this charm pack from Free Spirit Fabrics. Mm-hmm. Which is like pattern neons mm-hmm. that go really well with the other ones. So I yeah, I'm gonna use these to do like a rainbowy little scrappy. That will be fun. Are you thinking of using those for more paper piecing? Mm-hmm. Nice. I really like them. Yeah, it's the the vibe, the color aesthetic is is up your alley. I love it. It is. And then I got some fat quarters that were cute in the fat quarter section in these little houses. Oh, it's a dark background with little pink and yellow houses. This one is just, it's peach with like little household objects, but they're really mm-hmm. well spaced so that I could have like a hexagon with the drink and a hexagon with these it candies. reminds me of in Steven Universe, Pearl's visualization of her brain. Yeah. With just all the little items that are like indexed and evenly spaced. I but enjoy yeah, it. Wouldn't it be cute to have like a little noodle bowl in a hexagon? Yeah. yes yes and it would the other ones that i got were like this this is the same prints just on different colors mm-hmm. yes and when our little pink base blue base they are all little superstitions there's a black cat and broken mirrors and ladders and salt i love it 
That's funny. Yeah, isn't that funny? And I, I thought that these were cute, that they are like a dark background and a light background of the same print. So those could work together. Mm-hmm. And then the last thing I got there is this. Pride flag kit. Yeah. So this is a quilt kit that I mm-hmm. got. It's a machine sewn quilt kit. So I'm going to try and do a machine sewn quilt. But this is... It makes a little wall hanging that is the progress pride flag. And it has the pattern right. to do the triangle like it is in the flag and everything. And it has all the colors included. And the backing fabric is this rainbow happy. Yeah, it's a white background that says happy over and over again in rainbow colored letters. It's really sweet. Yeah, and this kit includes the batting and the binding and everything you need to make the quilts. And it was only $30. Wow, that's really nice. And it's a little kit that the shop made up and they had a sample of the wall hanging. And it's like about this big. I'm guessing that's like two or three feet. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So the overall piece is going to be about two foot by three foot. Yeah, it's definitely not going to be a blanket. It's going to be like a little wall hanging piece. But I thought that would be really Mm -hmm. cute. Yeah. Are you going to put it up in your house? Probably. Maybe in the studio to protect it from animal fur. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You could hang it in your window. Mm-hmm. That would be cute. That would be so cute. Maybe not sun friendly, though. You could put it in your door to keep out little animal faces. Child eyes. Yes. Mm-hmm. But yeah, so that is this. We'll see how I thought that this would be a good thing to see if I like doing that process because it's pretty small it's going to be a pretty small mm-hmm. piece to work on and if i hate it i don't ever have to machine quilt anything again and if i like it i could dabble in that a bit so yeah i tend to prefer sewing in the winter uh, especially for something or machine sewing in the winter because you have something large and it does kind of sit on your lap like mm-hmm. that I, I don't know why but i tend to i tend to gravitate towards that in the winter and do more like things like cross stitch in the summer some things that are lighter and it, i don't know it's just what i do yeah i got some english paper piecing i got an english paper piecing pattern that is like a scrappy quilts that you can mm. make by the square basically so mm-hmm. you make like a little scrappy square and then you can set all of your squares aside and machine sew all of the squares together in a big quilt so you don't english paper piece the whole thing that's cool mm-hmm. i like that I can't wait to see all your little fabric projects. So many little projects. Taking a hard left turn. Are you ready to hear a tale? Oh, yes. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) So we're jumping into a cult corner here. And um, the more I thought about this, the more I thought about we should have done this before our deep dive into the like Crowley Parsons, L. Ron Hubbard story. Today, I'm going to tell you a story that I have called Gaslight Gatekeep Girl Boss, the Helena Blavatsky story, also known as Milking the Spiritualism and Cultural Appropriation Shtick for Every Last Dime. (laughs) (laughs) I need to write down uh, Gaslight Gatekeep Girl Boss so that I can title the episode that. (laughs) Yes. And I just think it's great. Uh, Helena Blavatsky ran or walked so that L. Ron Hubbard could run uh she's really the progenitor of a a occult leaning cult leader like we've you know we've had there's so many cults that are derivations of a mainstream religion 
but she's really one of the progenitors of kind of making your own thing, but she's really picking and choosing from Eastern spiritual, cultural tradition, spiritual and cultural tradition. So it's fun. We're probably going to get more into that next week. We're just going to talk about this epic grifter's early life this week. So we're not going to get into her like more occulty, like pinnacle of her career stuff, more just like her early life and basis. Her origin story. Uh, her origin story. And I think it's, it's really hard because like, where do you draw the line between providing comfort to people who need it in an honest way? And where, like, where's the line between like, honestly providing what mainstream systems don't provide for people and grifting and just shaking hurt people down. Like you see this both in medical stuff and in spiritual stuff too. Like your, your mainstream things, there's not enough time for individual connection and for, for spiritual or medical practitioners to like really hear your concerns. They're, they're too busy. They're too stressed. And this is where people can come in and like, like, I'm sure there's lots of honest people who do believe in in things that are providing like spiritual comfort or they're like actually listening to someone's medical complaints you have in alternative medicines, but these, these fields are so, so ripe for, for grifting off of vulnerable people who are hurting, you know, spiritually or physically or both. Mm-hmm. And that's deeply upsetting that, that somebody, I mean, I think it's great that communities around alternative modalities are there to support people who aren't being supported by mean systems. But like, it it just really upsets me when people take from people who are hurting. I find that to be like abhorrent. Anyway, rant over. (laughs) I just, I just didn't rant to lead into this. (laughs) I wanted, I wanted to like validate people who are doing alternative spiritual and or medical practices, but Yeah. Like, so I didn't want to make it sound like I'm crapping on all alternative practices because we are going to crap on Helena Pavlovsky a lot. Okay. Let's go for this. Uh, Oh God. What's the word for it? She's a compulsive liar. um, I'm excited to talk about it. (laughs) Little, and this is definitely inspired by Behind the Bastards. If you want to hear a real journalist talk about this person who has read biographies and not just her Wikipedia, please listen to the Behind the Bastards episode. Um, You're just hearing, this is going to be me retelling that story here. So little Helena was born on August 12th of 1831 in what is now Dnipro, Ukraine, but back in the 1800s, that was part of the Russian Empire. Helena's mom was 17 years old and her dad was a somewhat absent military officer and a grown man. So I guess back in the day that was pretty common, but it's pretty squicky to look back on. There was actually a cholera epidemic going on at the time that affected both baby Helena and her mother. And they they were both sick with cholera, which sounds terrible, but I can only imagine that being even more terrible if you were like, someone who had just given birth and an infant suffering that together. Awful. But uh, they do both survive. But uh, Helena's mother had poor health kind of from here on out. Uh, Helena's father was aristocratic and had some German heritage. There's Vaughn in his name. But he's a military officer in his career. And so they're doing a lot of traveling. 
I would honestly kind of say that this would be analogous to like a modern military brat uprising. Like they're traveling often around the Russian empire. They were in St. Petersburg for a while. And Helena's mother liked that a lot more because there was uh, opportunities for social interaction. And Helena's mother uh, was a translator and a novelist of her own work, which is interesting. This was a time when women didn't, didn't have a lot of professional opportunities. And I think it's really interesting that a young woman was able to find those opportunities, but that didn't last for long. Eventually the family spent time in Central Asia with the Kalmyk people. And that was baby Helena. Like this is her preschool years. This was her first introduction to Tibetan Buddhism. And that definitely stuck with her. Like, I feel like there is some reliable evidence that she did her family did spend time in central asia and did get to see people practicing buddhism um and just something different from the the eastern orthodox church which is you know what was mainstream for russian aristocrats at the time and that obviously this this very much stuck with helena and she is going to keep she is going to keep learning more about eastern spiritual traditions and taking the things she likes to suit her needs. And pretty much after this part, we are relying a lot on what Helena said after she kind of came into her own as an adult. And it will be said that she's a very unreliable narrator. And this could absolutely (laughs) be, it's absolutely plausible that everything here is being made up to create a perfect backstory so that she can, slip on the guise of a spiritualist and shake people down for money. So that's where we're Make going with this. With a grain of salt. Yes. And, and even in her own retellings, there are contradictions. So she, I mean, memory is faulty as well. Either she didn't remember and she said different things at different times, or she couldn't keep her lies straight about her backstory. We know people like both of those things. So now it is 19 or 19. It is 1842 and Helena's mother dies of tuberculosis at 28 years old when young Helena is about 11, which is very unfortunate. But Helena and her siblings go to live with her maternal grandparents because their dad is too busy with his military career and traveling a lot. It honestly kind of makes sense that you would send your kids to somewhere a little more stable. While... (laughs) And Helena's grandparents uh, say things about her in her preteen years at this time that she has a say things like she has a big imagination and she likes to tell stories, which uh, you could understand of a child who had just lost their mother or is a nice way to call a child a liar. Right. (laughs) (laughs) I was like, yeah, is this just a big imagination or are they just seeing what people will believe? Mm -hmm. Elena says that her great-grandfather had a large esoteric library, which really piqued her interest in spiritualism and things outside of, like, a Christian orthodoxy. And then she also begins to see a mysterious South Asian man, and everybody thinks it, or she begins to say she's seeing, uh, she's having visits from, from what most people typically on the outside would say is, like, an imaginary friend. Like, so many young people have imaginary friends, mm-hmm. but... This is a specific one. It's a medium situation, right? Oh, yeah. No, no. Helena's a very special girl and needs everybody to know that she is a special chosen child. But, like, 
I mean, those are the games we all play as children. Like you all play like you're the protagonist of whatever golden child thing is popular in your day. It's, it's just something that is like most kids have main character syndrome, but like Helena's got it dialed up to 11. Yeah. In 1845, she may or may not have met this character, this person, real life person named Prince Galitzin, who was uh, a Freemason, and he was a person who's interested in spooky stuff. Either way, if this happens, I'm I'm kind of uncomfortable with it because he was an adult and she was a preteen, and I, I kind of hope it didn't happen because that's an uncomfortable thing. Like a, a young, like somebody who's a man hanging out with a preteen girl is is an upsetting thing to me. So I hope she's lying about that. (laughs) This like further kind of, she's getting more and more wrapped up into um, supernatural phenomenon and esoteric literature. And she's very much being influenced by that, all that stuff that's going on in her time, like a lot of free Freemasonry and also into kind of some, some, we don't really know history. Like a lot of times they talk about this a lot in the behind the bastards anthropology and like is is a young science in the mid 1800s and white people really want to believe that there was like some sort of golden age society of white people that like influenced the rest of the world so there's a lot of like oh there was atlantis and it was full of white people and they influenced the world and they like influenced all like the like quote unquote golden age societies of non-white people that we actually know about, like the whole cradle of civilization, Egypt, like ancient Chinese or Indian cultures, like white people just at this time could not believe that like the source of this was not, you know, a magical old civilization of light skinned people. There's a lot of that going around. So skipping ahead a little bit to 1847, a 17-year-old Helena is married to this middle-aged man named Blavatsky. I didn't even write down his first name. He's not really important. <laughs> so 17-year-old Helena, like her mother, is married to an adult man, which was probably typical for the time, but nonetheless, retrospectively, is upsetting. Supposedly, they did share a friendship and an interest in spiritualism and supernatural phenomena, but this did not stop a 17-year-old Helena from trying to run away from her 40-something-year-old husband, which, like, honestly valid. Uh, she tells this tale of her escape where she tells her husband that she's going. I mean, I'm pretty sure this happened. She tells her her husband, she's like, oh, I'm going to go to St. Petersburg and stay with, you know, friends or friends in the family or something. She leaves with her servants. By the way, family's got money but she dodges and she like makes it like part of the way there and decides to like slip this like the watchful eye of her servants and she makes it to constantinople and there is a long involved story about 17 year old helena i'm sure she's making friends with the turks and riding bear crack across the steps to make it to constantinople like there's a whole there's a whole adventure story she tells about her her time there i'm sure she's fighting bandits and living with Bedouins and all that sort of fabulous story. And she's the magical European girl that like wows them all. Mm-hmm. But she does spend about 10 years from her late teens through her late twenties traveling around the world, which is pretty cool. I mean, it's pretty cool if you're not 
lying about this for a purpose. It's it's good to travel, but she's probably spending 10 years of traveling being funded by her estranged husband or her father because they both have money. They're both old men with money who are willing to support her. Mm-hmm. At this time, her accounts differ on where, like whether this is like in London or someplace in the Mediterranean or North Africa. I, I don't know if the accounts differ. She apparently meets a South Asian man named Master Moria and she sees him and she's like, oh my gosh, you're my imaginary friend I had as a child. Like you were visiting me when I was a child and now I've met you in real life, which is very convenient. Mm-hmm. A lot of her story is very convenient. Mm-hmm. And Master Moria is going to be a character that is with her for the rest of her her life. And Master Moria tells her to go to Tibet, which is conveniently close to Westerners at the time. So who's going to tell her that she's lying? (laughs) So she takes a route from, let's just say one of the stories is that she meets Master Moria in London. The route she takes to get to Tibet is wild. She decides to go across the Atlantic to Canada in the U.S. What? (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And of course, this is very, this is very typical of her time. It's problematic now, but it's typical of her time. She's very enthusiastic about meeting indigenous and first nations people in Canada and the U S because they're supposed she wants to learn native magics. I'm sure that's the way she says it. This was the socially progressive view at the time. You see this a lot in spiritualism, the view of the noble savage, like, Oh, they know things that we Westerners don't, but it is it is deeply a problematic way of um, interacting with indigenous cultures, but it was the progressive way at the time. She supposedly goes and learns native magics in her, in her, you know, and spiritual leaders in her travels. She makes it from the Eastern seaboard, like down through Louisiana and out to California and then crosses the Pacific. Okay. Oh, I know, right? Like, why not cross two oceans when you could cross zero oceans? <laughs> I mean, if you're spending daddy's money, why not? Why not? So she eventually makes her way through Asia and definitely makes it to India and may or may not have made it into Tibet. I think at her first try, she gets turned away by British soldiers at the border to Tibet. So that was attempt number one to get into Tibet that she's telling us about. She definitely does spend some time in India where she's, you know, learning from mystics and all that good stuff. And in 1858, she returns to her family in Western Russia and starts claiming to be able to do your standard fair spiritualism stuff like table wrapping and like knockings on the wall and making things move. She starts um, to claim to be able to do that sort of thing. In 1862, when she's about uh, in her early 30s, she reconciles with her husband and they adopt a son. And in 1864, she falls from a horse and spends about a month in a coma and has a spinal fracture and not letting any good near-death experience go to waste like a true con woman. She comes out of this convalescence saying, I guess maybe I shouldn't maybe I shouldn't totally crap on her here. We all have different reactions to a traumatic injury, Mm -hmm. but she definitely comes out of her, her traumatic injury being like, I'm even more spiritually powerful. Now I can do all like I saw God and 
you know, the spiritual cosmos. And I am an even more special person now that I've had this traumatic near-death experience. And fortunately, in 1867, her son dies as a child, very young. He was five. And and I think it's reasonable to have a breakdown if your child dies. I mean, it's just reasonable to have a breakdown, but this is a, a very understandable thing to happen. Uh, and she starts, she just takes to the wind again and starts traveling all over the Mediterranean region. She supposedly fights with, with Italian national hero Garibaldi, like, Every street in Italy is named after this guy because he's just a famous war hero, I believe, in the Italian unification sort of a deal. I don't know enough about Italian history. I'm bad Italian. And in this time, she supposedly studies the Kabbalah with a rabbi, once again, like building her street cred. Like she's seen Central Asian Buddhist mystics. She's seen uh, Native Indigenous American you know, faith traditions. Now she's knocking off like revolutionary fighting and, and Jewish mysticism too. She's just putting all those little like tick marks on her spiritualist resume. And in the period from about 1868 to 1870, Master Moria tells her to go to Tibet for real this time. He's like, you didn't get to Tibet the first time you need to try again. He may or may not have like sent her a psychic letter or appeared to her like as an astral projection and told her to go. I, I didn't write that down because I'm a hack and a fraud, as Robert Evans would say. She definitely goes back to India and she may or may not have made it to Tibet. And I have here written convenient because Westerners have no way to know if she's lying. But she definitely spends these couple years in India, you know, immersing herself in the culture which is a cool thing to do if you're not going to try and scam people from it later like it's right. it's great to learn things the problem from other people if you're invited that's a wonderful beautiful cultural exchange the problem is when you're trying to profit off of it later mm -hmm. she says that she hangs out in person a lot during this time in tibet with master moria and gets introduced to his friend master kudhumi who will be her psychic bffs until the end and supposedly in this time, they taught her a language that nobody else knows about called Senzar. And it's supposedly some ancient Sanskrit adjacent thing that nobody else knows about. She now understands this special language. And they apparently teach her, you ready for this list? Master Moria and Master Kudhumi teach her clairvoyance, clairaudience, telepathy, mind control, astral projection, and teleportation of objects. Wow, she's a high-class X-Men. Right? That is a lot of, of superpowers to learn in two years of studying in Tibet with a couple ancient masters. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and now that she has ticked every box in the spiritualist list, this is kind of where I'm going to hang it up. She's, like, built up her resume, and she's ready to run with it. And what land is full of suckers ready to give her money more than mid-1800s America. We're so ready. We're so ready for her to grift us. Exactly. And that's where I'm going to hang it up this week. And uh, we're going to hear about the shenanigans that she gets to in later life next week. So she's, it's just a really interesting story of this, this wealthy, like Slavic woman. She's clearly very talented she's you know 
she's very smart. She learns all these, like she learns all the things that a traditional aristocratic woman would learn, like, you know, music and reading and literature and art and all these things, but that's just not enough for her. And this is fair. Like who wouldn't want more? She's interested in learning all these, all these different modalities, but she's clearly like the creator's special child and has every psychic skill. It's, it's good. It's fun. Mm -hmm. We're just going to, And now that she has accomplished all of these tasks and learned from every sort of spiritual leader that the non-Western world has to offer, she's going to become like the transformer of cultural appropriation and assemble into like one super robot of cultural appropriation and use it to shake down Americans. And it's exciting. I'm excited to hear about it. Yay! So that was part one of Helena Blavatsky. Come back next week for part two. And I think uh, now we're just going to close out with a little bit of promo and uh, be on our way. Mm-hmm. Promo-wise, I did just have my big Star Wars update. I made so much stuff and I was, I'm was really excited to have some things on hand. Most of this year, my stuff has kind of zapped out of the shop within a day of my shop updates and people are have busy lives and I'm happy that I finally made enough that there is enough for everybody. So if you saw something you liked, it's probably still in my shop and I would love to send it to you. Um, what have you got for promo? I have stuff on my website that you can purchase. And depending on when this comes out, I think that the Zodiac stuff is going to be up actually pretty soon. I know I've been saying that for months, but it there is a true hole in my schedule at like the beginning of August. And I think that I will put that stuff up there and it will be a good time. <laughs> fantastic Mm -hmm. so if you're looking to find us anywhere around the internet please head on over to fibercoven.com that'll be your directory for all things fibercoven it will have links to my yarn and emily's patterns and merch it will also have show notes for the episode you just listened to and all other episodes and links to our patreon where you can see video versions of this podcast as well as a whole nother podcast where we go on nerd rants and talk about business stuff which is fun. Another perk of being a patron is that you get access to our discord, which is honestly full of the coolest, craftiest people on the internet. And it's dope. You should join fibercoven.com. So until next week, Kevin, keep making yarn magic. Bye. Bye. Bye.